everyone, welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. It is day 353, and we are very glad to have you here for today's discussion. Dan, how are you doing? How do you think I'm doing? I mean, I was starting, I, I thought by about day 325, I was personally, you know, starting to head over the field, but uh, I think I'm losing the battle again. Where are you at? You were heading to bargaining. Yeah, I was I was heading towards bargaining, but I think I'm just mm, catapulted back right back anger. at denial. Yeah. No, no, I'm in yeah. denial. I'm in denial. What what order are those stages going? I don't fucking know. Um, I, I'm Kubler, denying the stages. Kubler, I would. I can't Kubler talk Ross. Kubler Ross. That was her name. Kubler whom? Uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Okay, I, I flipped a couple around. Okay, well I'm in um, denial. Personally. Okay. Okay. I, I don't think that we can deny anymore, though. If you have the capacity for it, be my guest. Um, we are... Mr. Rodriguez played Cinderella, and he made no comment. At this anger, point, anger, sure, risen, sure, sure, anger. He would have risen and said, what the fuck, this wasn't what I meant. I, I, I will let you, you... You saw it, I did not. I have no knowledge or opinion. I've literally heard nothing of Krista. I will take your word. Um, I saw someone say listening to her is like listening to an echo. What? And that is accurate. There is no chord of the voice whatsoever. Wow. And Christ. she was utterly charmless. Hmm. Well, I think that's the right note to start this discussion <laughs> on. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, folks, we are recording this episode because... Um, by the time this episode comes out, it will mark uh, one year since Stephen Sondheim left us with his work. Um, we are recording this on November 14th, 2022. Which is day 353. Good job. Since I last saw him. Where did you... S- you were the last person to see Stephen Sondheim? I was not the last person to see him. Uh, we were recording this on the 14th. Yes. And on the 15th, company reopened. Right, that's 365 and... days. Oh. There are 365 days in a year. 353 days since November 26, I... 2021. Oh. Uh... You quoted my number exactly. I was really impressed. And then you bungled the math even harder and you completely lost all my respect ever since <laughs> oh. oh this it's is been... why we don't do numbers <laughs> it's been 364 days go since i saw him because i was at the company reopening preview and he was there let's uh, let me reword i need to reword. yeah go ahead it's been one day short of an entire year since the best day of my life. Where are we since? And, um, where are we since? You don't want to know. God, this year has just been a wreck. <laughs> kind of. Like, it wasn't just Sondheim. It was Betty White. Yeah. It, it was Angela Lansbury. Yeah. It was fucking Queen Elizabeth the Second. Well, 
There have been like three prime ministers since. <laughs> yeah, there have. Or four. <laughs> I think they might be on a fifth. I heard a rumor they're on a fifth. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Follies in the UK disparaged Stephen's name. And so when Sondheim went down, he made sure that the fucking UK went down with him. <laughs> well, like. All of the things that we hold near and dear to comfort have been yanked out from under the rug. The the rug has been yanked out from under us. That's Uh the phrase. Um, And we just have been floating in air like Sandra Bullock in that one movie. What, The Blind Side? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. It has been quite a year. Can we talk about what the year has been... In terms of Sondheim? Sure. Because uh, a lot of news has happened in the past year, re-Sondheim. Uh, we learned about a revival of Sweeney Todd. A production of Into oh, the Woods happened yeah, and then happened again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Merrily We Roll Along is about to premiere off-Broadway. I got a ticket! Fuck you. Um, uh-huh. I'm very lucky. West Side Story released to pretty good reviews, especially from us. Um, Not from us. I was the one person that didn't give a good review. But we, but together we gave like an overall net positive. Sure. Whatever. Uh, you're just a crank. Sure. Um, Company won five Tony Awards and then Company immediately won, closed. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Company won five Tony Awards. But hey, tour coming up. They desecrated the jacobs well i think we, we talked about this oh, okay okay i think you asked me if i thought any production that would have entered the jacobs after company would have inherently been cursed um and my answer is yes mm-hmm. i do think whatever was going to go there was going to suffer the fate that this show is suffering mm-hmm. but hey jimmy fallon's there to help so it's fine um what else? Uh, Signature had a very solid season. Well, announced. they're in the middle of a season. They've yeah. announced a little night music so far, which I've heard was like, okay. They didn't already have that, did they? they w- which one was the one with Emily Skinner? Was that not Signature? That wasn't Signature. That was, that? was... It was like Huntington? Not Huntington. Oh, um, oh uh, Barrington was... Stage, that was. Barrington, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought they were in the midst of their... I thought that was a part of their season. Oh, okay, so the Signature season hasn't even started yet. I believe Sweeney Todd is getting started. Yes? Oh, cool. Or Into the Woods. Into the Woods is... Look, everyone and their fucking brother is putting on Into the Woods this year. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm currently in a production me. of Into the Woods. It annoys me. Gotta be honest on that. Like, It's because... Well, it's specifically because everyone who's doing Into the Woods doesn't... Is doing we want to do because... Sondheim, but we don't yeah. want to scare anybody, so we're going to pro- program Into the Woods, because we still need money. Strap on some fucking balls and put on passion. That's what I say. <laughs> no balls. Oh, yeah. There was a Terry Gilliam production of Into the Woods. Forgot about that yeah, one. There was. We have dueling productions of Into the That's how all... That is how many people are doing Into the Woods right now. <laughs> we have, like, three or four major productions that are all warring it out. And we did have uh, Passion in London as well, starring Ruthie Henshaw. Yeah. Did you hear anything about that? Happened. Um... I know someone who saw it. Uh huh. Is that the end of that sentence? Yeah. Okay. 
She, uh, no, no, no. She sounded like you expect her to. Sure. Sure. That's what I heard. Fair enough. And then, you know, the ever-dormant property that is square one hangs in the ether. We remain hopeful. Do we ever? Do we fucking ever? Uh, should we give a little? We should give a lot, I think. Our, our audiences don't come here for a little. Well, should we get a, give a little review of something that we've now referenced several times? Yes. I saw Into the Woods at Encores. I saw Into the Woods on Broadway. I saw mm. the replacement cast. Word. You saw, um, which, which replacement cast? Who, what, what edition? Who is your baker, is what I'm asking. Um, Sebastian Achelis. Okay, so you saw Company 2.0. It's the same production. We saw some same cast members. Yeah, a couple. Um, we saw the same Jack. I think we saw the same Jack's mother. Yeah. Uh, the Dorada. ever-present. Yeah, the ever-present. Um, Annie Golden. Annie Golden. There, as always. We saw the bleached boy who is um, bleached. no longer a boy, really. Yeah, but fair enough. He, he Tony was Winter Gavin Creel. Tony Winter Gavin Creel. Um, what did you like it? Yes. Cool. Trepidation included. I liked it. I don't know what you experienced at Encores. What I saw felt like the absolute baseline of what can you get away with if you're going to do Into the Woods on Broadway. And I don't mind that it's an Encores concert, but it is an Encores concert, so there's not... There's staging, but there's not a lot of staging. Also, talent-wise, I have to say, it felt like what is the bare minimum we can get away with doing Into the Woods on Broadway just about, with one major exception that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, everyone was good. Everyone was good to yeah. very good. There was not much spark. Um, it didn't feel like they went very deep into the text. They were reliable. They were dependable. Um, it was fine. I had a good time. I don't need to see Into the Woods again. Uh, I, I really just didn't know why it transferred to Broadway, though. Um, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't um, so exceptional. And the performances were fine. It, it was nice to see Into the Woods done by an all-Broadway cast. You wouldn't get that in a regional theater. But I, I, it, it wasn't special for me. I, I, there was an energy in the room at the encores that I think had part to do with, I think, the freshness of Sondheim's passing as well as the sort of excitement over the production being there as an entity. I really think it's one of those productions where the hype itself is what garnered the reaction that it got. Um, not to say that I found the presentation shabby or lackluster or anything, but the strength of it was really, I mean, it's, it's 
exactly what you come to encores for. It's the music played mm-hmm. to an exceptional standard and a cast performing the material at the highest level of quality that they can muster. And truthfully, that was exactly what it presented. The music was gorgeous, and the performances were really solid. Uh, highlight performances, obviously, from Heather fucking Headley, uh, from Julia West. Who I West, didn't have. Who you didn't have, and I'm genuinely so sorry for you. Um, yeah. her, her last midnight is... what? Have, have you ever seen a performance where you, while watching it, have gone, I... I'm in the room for this. I get to tell people I was in the room for this. Have you ever ha- had a performance like that? Mm-hmm. That, it was one of those. Okay. Um, it was one of those. Julia Lester was also incredible. Sarah Bareilles was astoundingly good. Not that I exactly had low expectations of her, but she was like, it was truly an A-plus performance as far as I made it. Um... And you know what? I was pleasantly surprised by Neil Patrick Harris. I wasn't excited for him. He won me over. Did he sing the right notes? Mercifully. Mercifully. He, he did in the Assassin's Cast recording. You learned this recently. And I think mm. I was the one who broke the news to you because you thought you put the blame on poor Ethan Slater for singing, listen to the story, hear it in the well, song. Well, I'm sorry. Because I, fucking that... NPH goes, listen to the stories, hear it in the song, because he didn't bother to look at the sheet music. Well, I mean, I will admit my bias. I have an anti-SpongeBob bias. It reared Oh, oh, there. oh, oh, I'm and... with you. I'm with you. I do, not yeah. put the, the, I do not put the sins of the father onto the child. Okay, but I also hated whatever he was doing in Fosse Verdon. So he, like, had two strikes against him going in. I have in, a question for and you. And then I was hearing different notes than the recording that I was used to, and I figured, well, he must be the problem. And then I read Paul Ford's book, where he talks about Stephen Sod. I went to Paul Ford, the rehearsal pianist, and said, hey... Neil Patrick Harris isn't singing the right notes here. Can you go correct him? I don't want to. And Paul Ford was like, okay, I'll do it. He walked up to Neil Patrick Harris, who got very offended, and he said, this is the last thing I need right now. And so he's on the cast recording singing the wrong notes. A note about having humility and being a decent human being. He now has his ass out in front of the entire world permanently because he couldn't fucking take a note and he couldn't take the right notes more than just couldn't take a note His, that was uh, impressive admit that yeah it was je- it was it, it was it was a solid case you could write a dissertation truly um <laughs> <laughs> i could see you taking neil patrick harris to court for playing the wrong fucking note it's like a defamation suit for over Stephen Sondheim's behalf <laughs> Uh, and he had his ass out. He had his ass out in cabaret too. So just you know, ass out on on every level. Anyway, all this to say, at encores there was a magic in the room. I don't know if you've been told about this, but I can't imagine they're doing this where children will listen on Broadway. Um, at the end of children will oh, listen. Oh, the chorus. The yeah, chor- no, no. For for those who have seen it on Broadway and have don't know too much about the encores production, um. At the end of Children Will Listen, at the key change, all the house lights go up. Wishes are children. Yes, all the house lights come up, and 
sort of on like the perimeters of the audience like the, you know you have the traditional proscenium seating and then there are these sort of edges on the side and the, like the stairs that you sort of go up on the left and the right of the theater um on all of those is a chorus of children and adults and teenagers and people of all ages filling the entire auditorium with sound and it was an extraordinarily touching moment um and I think there was that it was that like that among all the little sparkles of magic that made that production such a thing, made it such an event, made it such a widely talked about thing. It was, you know, you know how to get them into the room and then you knew how to leave them feeling magical. Um, and I think it transferred to Broadway because people knew it would sell because they, it, it had those tickets, it had those sales and it had that company and you know, true to their word, it ended up selling very, very well for a pretty long time. Well, like, not for was a long time, time, but they they definitely sold out the original announced dates. Yes, absolutely. And, and like, seriously, when was the last time a Sondheim show grossed over, like, a million and a half a week? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the grosses week by week, they had the highest grosses in a single week a Sondheim musical has ever had, and that's good. I do have to say, I was there, and um, there was an annoying family behind me that... Get control of your kids, parents, okay? Um, but there was a family behind me, and I overheard them at intermission say, I don't know what they're going to do for Act 2. <laughs> Because they didn't know the show. Yeah. They didn't know the show at all. And so in that spirit, I support it. I'll be honest, I saw it twice. Um, I bought my own ticket. And then I received a ticket as a birthday gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked it more the second time around. I liked it a lot more the second time around. But um, from the people that I know that saw it at Encores and saw it on Broadway... There was very much an emphasis put on the comedy when they moved to Broadway, and especially with the replacement cast, mm-hmm. and in doing so, and in adding the replacement cast, they sacrificed a lot of the book work that apparently was really essential at Encores. That is really ups- pretty upsetting to hear. The book work was absolutely the strong suit of the encore's production the fact that it was like a real actual delve into ma- into the material a real taking serious of the material you know what i mean um i did hear that the way that they went on to get those replacement casts was a little rushed um i've heard that it was kind of scra- not scrambled together but sort of put together with intense speed I heard the transfer was that, too. I heard that the transfer, before they secured Patina Miller, they even went to Bernadette Peters and said, would what? you be willing to do this again? And she said, <laughs> no. Um, what the fuck? Uh-huh. Goodness gracious. They uh, have, from pretty reliable sources, they actually went to Bernadette Peters, who said, uh-uh, no. Good for You're her? crazy. I have... One particular bone to pick with this production. Mm-hmm. This production garnered a cast album. A cast album was the right move. Cast album was the right move, especially for an encore's production. The cast album is strong for what it is. Nothing in my mind 
saves it from the fact that what this needed to be was a recording of the full score. Well, what do you mean? I'm saying a full score recording in the way that we have that merrily full score recording or the anyone can whistle full score recording. I like I want every page of music captured. This is encores. This is their entire point. It's a preservation of the original orchestrations of musicals, or at least that was their point at one point in time. Yeah, but every Into the Woods has had the original orchestrations. Well, sure, but we don't have a copy. Sure, but we don't have a copy of the entire score. We have the songs, the little bit moments, the extra parts of orchestration, the little. Do you need to hear ten times over and over again on an album? I don't think so. We didn't get any of the fucking stepsister scene, the beginning of the Act One finale. The fact that that entire section is gone, it's like, like, okay. like, why? You know, like moments it, like that at the very I least. I haven't, I haven't listened to the album. I knew I was going to see it. I wanted to wait until I saw it, and then I just haven't picked it up. Uh, is the exit music at least on the album? No. Okay, that probably should have made it. And they didn't even record the overture. There is no overture. Well, that's what I'm saying. But it's not there. But there's no overture. They should have written one. Get Tunic back on it. Give it a whole Judy at Carnegie Hall. Um, no, 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 it's the. Anyway, I I have that bone to pick with it. I think more of the score should have been recorded, if not the entire thing. Dan, you haven't copyrighted this yet. Someone will steal it. Someone will steal your arrangement. You don't have the money to go to court. I'm doing this off of the top of my head, huh? I I'm saying you don't you don't have this copyrighted. Someone's gonna steal this. My totally Las Vegas <laughs> overture for Into the Woods. You're really setting the tone perfectly. Oh my god, Las Vegas Into the Woods. <laughs> oh. Las Vegas Into the Woods, 90 minutes long. <laughs> Extra special effects. What is that show? Oh, there's no act two. Like No, I think it's funnier if they do the I think it's funnier if they do the full if they show only do act just two? cut an hour. <laughs> <laughs> if they act. only do act two, that's the real funny thing. Like a vault. Um, oh, listen, overall, I'm glad to have it. It's nice to have a Sondheim on Broadway. It's nice to see it doing relatively successfully. I, I don't begrudge it a bit. I was whelmed. What else Sondheim Broadway is happening? We have this merely roll along. Have you seen the original West End version of this production? Uh, I've seen the tape, yeah. Yeah, I've seen there's a there's a pro shot recording of Merrily Roll Along, which mm-hmm. fucking wild. But um <laughs> I like the production that's coming in. I think it's perfect for New York Theater Workshop. I don't know where they're going to put the band. Where 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 they put them in London? I uh, they were I think in a wing, but I don't even know if there's wing space at New York Theater Workshop. Yeah, no, fair enough. They d- didn't they did this production in like Huntington too, I think. Yeah. I wonder if they scaled it down or scaled it up or anything, or if this is a very scalable production. Can't imagine it. I mean, like, the the set is kind of placebo. Yeah. 
can't be too hard to scale somehow i imagine get the get the orchestra in like single file <laughs> we will have to see i the one thing i'll say so far is that what i think the casting is potentially going to do well or what i see being a strength of the casting they picked is that we the public have a memory of Daniel Radcliffe and Jonathan Groff at the ages they would have been in mm-hmm. in that final slash first scene. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a lot of memories and verisimilitude on stage by the end of that show with those two. Yeah, we know Jonathan Groff. We are familiar with Jonathan Groff at 19. We are familiar with Daniel Radcliffe at 19. We have strong cultural ideas of what that was. When they're playing those characters, we'll see it. Mm-hmm. I, like, I genuinely wonder if they're going to wig Daniel Radcliffe to give him hair like his Harry Potter hair. Like, I think genuinely that's what will happen. I think they're going to try to replicate that. I don't, I don't think he put it on. But I do think it's genius. Having not seen the performances, and I would make my determination at that point, I think it's genius casting just from the look of it. Yeah. From, from Conceptually, at the very least, mm-hmm. perfect casting. Yeah. And then, uh, want to do a little uh, commentary on the state of Sweeney from everyone that we know? Groban, Ashford, Lacamoire, Kale. I've heard a number of rumored names. Yeah, I don't want to speak them into existence right now. I'm not going to speak them to existence, but I will say from a completely alleged unofficial standpoint, they are lining up a cast that intentionally will not make the two leads look bad. Hmm. How diplomatically put. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Draw your own conclusions there. Fair. Fair. Um. (laughs) Damn. Well, you know what they say. You know what they say. Most of the most of the work of good directing is just good casting. Well, someone has their work cut out for them. Yep. Uh, Twenty six pieces, huh? Hopefully, they're actually good musicians. If they're performing on Broadway. I should hope. I listen. If I'm sorry, no, you sat in Funny Girl with me. That trombonist is not fucking in tune, like ever. And that person's on Broadway. Yeah, fair. fair. They regularly have people that are out of tune in these orchestras. I have musician friends who have worked regionally and have been told. I think you could make it in New York, but just know that they are going to put importance on being in the right place at the right time rather than tuning. Hmm. And it is absolutely apparent. It is absolutely apparent some days. Lackamore keeps a pretty tight ensemble, no? I mean, listen to those original... (sighs) Has he dealt with 26 before? I wish them the best. As do I. As do I. I uh, 26 want... is hypothetically a great number. I hope they get musicians worthy of the score. I want the best for this show. I always want the best for this show. Lackamore was music director for Wicked at one point. He was the assistant, then he became the music director. Yeah. Um, it's pretty sizable, and that was early, too. 
That was 24. I believe Wicked is 24. Yeah. Um, although he wasn't setting that. He's setting this. We will see. We will see. Yeah. I, a lot of people, I'm very happy there are going to be 26, but I am not going to see that number and not listen, if that makes sense. Because I think a lot of people yes. are going to see that number and then not listen because they saw that number. Hmm. You have to get good people to show up, even if it's 5 to 40. Fair enough. What does, what does a year post-Sondheim mean? For me, I think it means a greater reflectiveness on what he gave us predominantly. I think that's the biggest thing here. The fact that the news of this, the understanding of the intangibility of his presence, I guess, means that a greater reverence for the work has opened up on the wider scale and that we are all in the midst of celebrating his legacy. You know, to an extent that it feels like a important moment for us to do that, you know? Beyond just regularly appreciating or enjoying his work or talking about, oh yeah, this should get a production or this, whatever. It's taking this opportunity to throw ourselves into the work, right? And to immerse ourselves within and to have it revolve around us and to have it always ever present and to have it on the focus of conversations and to have him be a specific, you know, subject of conversation, to have him be the, the, the center of musical theater for a little while, as it were. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the fact that this has opened the door for us to really focus on him for to the greatest extent that it's been in a while. Sure. Sure. For me, a year without Sondheim, I think an era has officially passed. Mm. And we're about to talk about a concert that's really going to underline that. Mm -hmm. Rather than it being contemporary i don't even think we can say contemporary because the only new show that premiered during our lifetimes was wise guys bounce gold road show mm -hmm. um none of his broadway shows we were alive for their opening but you heard he was working and that was encouraging we are now looking back at a man who wrote Never Look Back. <laughs> We're now looking back at a man who wrote Never Look Back. And it it's times. officially not contemporary. And it's a moment in history. And... I Another thing that's happening, Phantom is closing. We are officially seeing the end of the Hal Prince era on Broadway. True. 1953 to 2023. And theater is ephemeral. Time changes. I still don't know 
where we're going. And if we have actually picked up on the possibilities he gave us, you go to see something like Strange Loop. And I think it was the New York Times that tweeted out the Strange Loop Tony performance was a better tribute to Sondheim at the Tony Awards than having Bernadette Peters come on. I agree <laughs> with that. I agree with that. That show is completely, um, not completely, but it is indebted to the advancement Sondheim made to the art form. And you see something like it. You see the through line. You see, strange loop. I think you see Bill Finn's influence even more than Sondheim. But you see mm. the um, evolution of the musical progressing. And we're at a point where a strange loop is closing in January. It we don't fully know, but it's believed it's not going to recoup its costs. And we don't know if more shows like that are going to come along. So there are larger ramifications of are we living in whether or not his shows are revived. Are we heading towards a completely post Sondheim Broadway? In that we rejected all of his findings. Not the artists that are writing, but the works that end up getting produced. Because you go to see something like Moulin Rouge, and that is a complete rejection. And is that I... what we are? I haven't seen Anne Juliet yet. I'm going to see it in the next couple of days here. I imagine it is very Moulin Rouge-esque. And if that is what is a hit, and if that is what keeps getting produced... Have we rejected the man? This is I'm trying, fun! Not... Happy episode! I, <laughs> I, I am going to say, I think that's a bit of a doomer way of looking, not just at, you know, what his contributions were, but looking at, like, the state of art altogether. I think it's a warning more than a doomer look. I could see things going this way. I hope it doesn't. I don't specifically have reason to believe it will, but I think it is completely possible. I think it is currently as possible as it has ever been. I think mm. that there have been a lot of down seasons and very significantly down seasons. Um, and I think that the reasons those seasons aren't prevalent is because they've been lost to time in favor of the glorious seasons and i'm sure a skirmishing of you know the best musical nominations page will probably if you look hard enough give you a couple seasons approximately as dismal as you know some of the ones that we've been seeing recently I think I thought last season was good. Yeah, last season was good. But I'm saying, you know, yeah. if you look at something like this is a way too extreme example, but you know, a situation in which history happened in such a way where the nominees were Jagged and Moulin Rouge and um whatever the third was. Tina. Tina, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Um obviously that's like it's a really extreme and absurd circumstance that never would have happened otherwise, but like really 
Yes, I think if we gotten the breadth of musicals. 95? 95? What 95? Sunset Boulevard versus Smokey Joe's Cafe, and those were the only two nominees. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Mm-hmm. Wow. See, th- that, I'm certain people in 95 were looking at those nominations and going, this is a fucking warning. This is the state of musical theater right now. It's a hammy Andrew Lloyd Webber and a review. These things happen as an ebb and flow. And this is completely pivoted from a conversation of Stephen Sondheim. But if I may if I may pull something out of my ass to direct it towards him. Can we be hopeful that there's a candor and ebb and flow coming in in the spring? I but again, that doesn't that'll be nominated for <laughs> that'll be nominated for best new musical, I believe, but even still, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But even still, the point is not to look towards, oh, we're still talking about the shows of the past. It's not about looking back. It's the notion of moving forward. That was a huge theme in his shows. In yes, Sunday in the Park with George, in Into the Woods, mm-hmm. in Follies. It's, you know, keep going. There are down periods. There are moments where you creatively will crash and burn. There are moments where nothing looks bright. And you and wish why that you went to the glory days, but you don't know what's on the other side. You can't know, and you don't know. Why I am worried is how financially dismal things look. Well, the economy is one thing for sure, and, and not just the economy. The way things financially look on Broadway, it's not very optimistic, and I do worry. That in the future we're only going to have Moulin Rouge and Juliet and the Neil Diamond show. Mm-hmm. Not even on an artistic sense, but just as a financial response to what is selling. And I mean, and Juliet hasn't had specifically great grosses yet. We'll see. Um, but. I think they're about to get a bunch of great reviews and do a bunch of morning talk shows and they'll end up in a very comfortable place. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that'll happen and I'm sure that it will happen for a minute and I'm sure that it will end and I'm sure something different will happen for better or for worse. We gotta get through this period that might not be the strongest period that's existed in musical theater and we gotta wait for the next one to come around. I'm not very optimistic. Uh, whoa. Yeah. You don't say. I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. It, yeah. I'm too much of a realist to be optimistic. We just watched the birthday concert, and you had something to say about how that tied into sort of like the finale of an era. So we watched the Stephen Sondheim 80th birthday concert that was televised. Um, and wanted to use it as a touch point for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's about 20 people in the cast that perform. And depending on how you count, out of 20, 8 to 10 people that are in this cast are either no longer with us, have quit the business, or have been canceled. I like that you gave one spot for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Retired, she just did an re- interview today. <laughs> retired, quit the business, or refuses to let the business quit her? <laughs> oh, well, no, no, no. She's quit. She's in Tennessee. She doesn't think that New York is safe, and I don't know why. It's one of the safest cities in the country currently, but go ahead. Live your dream. Live your fantasy. Live your Broadway princess fantasy <laughs> in Tennessee. Very good. Very good. Mm-hmm. I don't think she can use that name anymore, though. I just... But it was it really was staggering watching the concert and realizing I don't think we have 10 minutes straight of people who are still all working. It was depressing. I'm going to not talk about it in that light. I thought it was glorious. It was glorious and time is a bastard. I think that's what I mean. It was you absolutely glorious. You messaged me glorious. saying time is a bastard, and I woke up to that message, and I was like, what a great way to start the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it, it is, because what that was, if we're going to completely go out of order and be random here, <sighs> Elaine Stritch gets up, and she does I'm Still Here. Mm-hmm. And she, it, it's, and Stritch, by the way, just a master class on how to pull attention from everybody and anybody. Oh, yeah. Like, she walks on stage, and she has... Everyone has some kind of trench coat. She doesn't just have a trench coat. She has a hat, and she has an umbrella that she's holding and using as a prop. <laughs> everyone else goes. They pick up the champagne. They walk off stage. She walks up to the champagne. No, I can't have that. And she walks around it. It's a huge oversized reaction. Love it. We get to the... Mm. We get to the um, ladies in red section. Patty gets up and she sings Ladies Who Lunch. She finishes it. And before any of the audience is clapping, Elaine stretches up out of... Jumps out of her seat and starts applauding. So at the end of the number, where is your eye? It's not on Patty LaPone, it's on Elaine Stretch. At the end of I'm Still Here, they're all bowing. They go walk off stage and she presents the entire group. She has made it so that your eye is constantly going back to her as the main focal point of the evening like as she should excellent master class in pulling focus but she goes up and she does i'm still here and it's the most stretchy and i'm still here i think she ever did and i oh, love yeah. it i love it i absolutely love it um and it was a very emotional i'm still here even more emotional than i've seen her do it elsewhere she's she, she's performing for what three thousand people Mm-hmm. she's milking it yeah, but she performed it at the White House, and you would milk at the White House, I think. Smaller audience. Well, sure, smaller audience. It just, she got up and she was in her inimitable stretch way. And I thought, if this concert, if we did a concert like this again, who would take the Elaine Stritch role? Or the Elaine Stritch slot? Elaine and, Stritch. Yeah, the answer is there is nobody. It's completely a type of performing that doesn't exist anymore. So what you do is you take the government funding that is out there and you apply it to researching the possible solutions to get Elaine Stritch back performing this number. If we're bringing Elaine Stritch back, we're bringing her back much younger and she's going to do Gypsy for us. Fucking finally. It's about goddamn time. The entire state of the concert, though, 
What was amazing about it was that it felt more than just a tribute to the work of Stephen Sondheim. It felt like a tribute to the culture of Stephen Sondheim. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, the Sweeney Todd section. Since when can you talk about fucking fan service in musical theater? Right? Like that was just a pure and complete total fan service. It was like a fu- don't cringe at this. It was like a fucking Doctor Who anniversary episode, right? It's like the a meeting of the fucking Who? minds. It's the don't don't Who? do not. You're wrong. It was a Who? it was it was a brilliant like fucking Who? melding of all these eras. You have Two Sweeney's, shut up. You have two Sweeney's performing at the same time. You have Jim Walton singing the Frank song that his Frank never sang. You have John McMartin coming up to sing the road you didn't take when he's way further down the road. It's like fucking asking Olivier to recite to be or not to be at the end of his life. It's truly astounding shit. And it's all like a testament to the culture of Stephen Sondheim's work, to the history of his stamp on musical theater. To the history of how deeply his works are loved. And I think that's possibly why I am so depressed. Not depressed, but have been so negative. Because it absolutely, this concert absolutely was a love letter to the culture of Stephen Sondheim. And seeing how many people aren't with us. And seeing how many people aren't working. And seeing that the moment has completely passed, it seems. Really, it shook me up because it hasn't been long. It's been, we sat there during the pandemic for his 90th. There should have been a massive mm-hmm. 90th birthday concert, but the pandemic happened and we couldn't have that and we had the virtual. Um, I just, I, 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 it becomes something different at this point, I think. And I'm having a hard time, just personally in my life, reconciling that. It. We sit here today, and apparently there is a Stephen Sondheim tribute happening at the Stephen Sondheim Theater uh, in New York City. It's, you know, been a year. We got marquees dimmed, and a performance at the Tony Awards, and a performance at the Grammys, and, like, what else? An issue of the Dramatists magazine? Mm. An exhibit at New York Public Library? Is that what we got? Well, we yeah, we didn't have a major memorial. I mean, we've heard it's happening now. We don't know. Yeah, I I mean, this is <clears throat> truly how it should be done. I gotta tell you, I was kind of apprehensive to watch this for a very long time. I had kind of had it painted in my mind that this was like one of the less exciting of the Sondheim concerts out there. A lot of people think it is. I think it has to. I think it has to do with, like, the perceived sterileness of it. I, I Honestly, I think it has to do with the age you were when you encountered the various concerts. Maybe? Because, like, in my mind, completely as an abstract thing, I always thought, oh, okay, this concert from the 90s is, like, the cool one, and then they did one in 2010 as well that just, you know, kind of happened. I think it has a lot to do with the way that PBS shoots things. I think that's a huge yeah, but part PBS of it. PBS got the other one. Yeah, but PBS shot differently in the '90s when they were using different non-digital equipments. You know, like the pro shots from the '80s and the '90s of PBS look so extraordinary and extravagant. But you know, the stuff from I think the 2010s, especially you know, all you thinking about all those live at Lincoln Center things. 
they're kind of flat, kind of sterile, kind of bland looking. And, you know, like actually watching the full thing, it's very well directed, very well shot, very well edited. It's just the look of it, I think, felt a little sterile. And so I was apprehensive to get into this. And watching it was truly just nonstop delight, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one of the most, like, wonderfully curated concerts I've seen. I don't... I can't imagine any musical theater concert topping this one. <laughs> kind of. How do you pay better tribute to a performer's work? Well, and you're not going to have a better breadth of work to choose from. Better breadth of work, better selection of performer to material, mm-hmm. better better curation of said material? Fuck, mm-hmm. we got Hotspot and Reds. Yeah. Recorded by PBS. What the fuck? How did that happen, you know? Yeah. It's really terrific. I simply adored it. Just adored it. Um, highlights. Highlights of the concert. Well, I have to say, the best thing this concert did that I don't think can ever be replicated, the ladies in red sequence. So first, just having that sequence to begin with. And then the homosexual Fantasia that is putting the cameras where they are. So you're going to watch these women react to each other perform. Yeah. Yeah. Um... One of the most exciting things in the world is watching Patty Lapone react to Could I Leave You? Oh, Patty is very... She reacts to everything. She reacts to pretty much everybody. But specifically the way her, like, jaw drops at, <sighs> wait a goddamn minute. Uh-huh. It, it, it's the, you, she has a look in her eyes like, yes, this is good. Demolish him. She's watching it. She's like, like it's, it, it genuinely is just like a, oh, my god like like she is just fucking astounded by what's turning out here there's just so much love so much admiration here so much respect so much devotion it's truly just like it's one of the most thrilling fucking moments in musical theater performance that entire sequence is excellent um Mm -hmm. outside of that john mcmartin Wow. <laughs> wow. Sean McMartin. Again, it's like getting Olivier to recite Shakespeare. It is like calling up the most legendary stalwart performer to dutifully perform the text that he originated, you know? And to do so 40 years later. And fucking, you know, what a, credit to Olivier. He's got whatever. Olivier didn't have to carry a fucking tune. John McMartin carries a goddamn tune 40 years later. He walks off that stage. He doesn't even bow, mind you. <laughs> he walks off that stage, and you get the sense that this... Is it performer? Is it an act? Or is it real? You don't know. And the way he walks off, and he looks completely dejected, you can tell it hurts. He's... He, he walks off the stage. He doesn't take a second of applause. He doesn't take a second of recognition of the performance he just gave. He walks off lost and hurt and confused mm-hmm. as in he walks off as Benjamin Stone. Yeah, it's exactly the song. It's exactly the character. 
he does not leave the character until he's off the stage. It, mm. it it's such a lack of like a need to be recognized as a performer and such complete and total devotion to the character and the character of the song and the character of the moment and the character that Steve etched out. Nothing but reverence for the material. Nothing but. It honestly might be my favorite performance of a musical theater song ever. I have <laughs> always astounding. wanted to see someone combine like his original performance with this, you know? It exists on YouTube. It already exists. Really? Mm. I'm not surprised. I'll go look it up. What was the song that Vicky Clark sang from Hotspot? I, I believe it's called Don't Laugh. Don't Laugh? That was, this was the first time I'd ever heard that song. Well, a hot spot closed out of town. It, uh, no one's really done anything from it since. And I think it was just piano because probably the orchestrations from the original production were lost. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so certain. I'm so certain. Yeah. And at the same time, also, you know, the song from Saturday Night wasn't arranged so many people. That was also piano only. Um, I think it might be among my favorite Sondheim songs. He didn't do the music. Who was that? Mary Rogers. Mary Rogers. Yeah. I I love the lyric of that song. Yeah, he did I the think, lyrics, and they're great. Yeah, I think uh, this was '63. Yeah. Hot spot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it actually made it to Broadway. For a little bit, out right? of town. Yeah. Mm. I was list. I was like trying to hold that up against so many people which was also there which i think is a lovely song but not a great one um and the lyrics in hotspot do kind of call attention to themselves a little bit but overall i never felt that it was in a way that like didn't work you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it was like a very noticeably clever lyric but the song itself also felt clever and maybe it's just that vicky clark's performance made it seemed like it needed to be clever was playing into the cleverness of it played it a little i don't know coward-esque even but like i thought it was so fun i thought it was so delightful Mm -hmm. Uh, i really really loved that song uh that was a huge highlight for me and also thought it was hilarious that the song that victoria clark is singing is the only is the one that doesn't get a full arrangement you know it's the one that where she's only playing against the piano. Paul Ford's probably banging the keys back there trying to fucking meet her strength. Well, Laura Benanti didn't have a full arrangement. It's, yeah. Those uh, were the only two were, that were piano only. Well, who, I mean, who also are the schleppers? growing up. Uh-huh. Who are the schleppers in this group? There's no schlepper. Everyone's at the top of their game. True. Everyone is at the top of their game. It's just like like the inherently most powerful voices in this room. You've got Audra. You've got Patty. You've got, you got Nathan Vicky. Gunn. You've got Nathan Gunn. I think you could make the argument for Donna Murphy. Could you could make the argument for Mandy Patinkin? Oh yeah, and Marin Maisie. I think those are that's the lot yeah, of them. Mary, I, yeah, I think those are like that's, the powerful. But that's singers. like half the cast. Yeah, but that's Vicky like Clark. Cast, Vicky Vicky Clark is the one who gets piano only. Even Benanti, like her voice is so much more delicate. It works a lot more for solo piano. Vicky Clark, I, I just thought it was like uh, conceptually hilarious. Speaking of Nathan Gunn, talk about that too many mornings. 
From the both of them. It's a terrific Too Many Mornings. Just sung and acted the shit out of. I don't know if I'd want to see Nathan Gunn play Ben Stone at any point, but, you know, that performance of that song here, it was perfect. It was perfect. And why it was hasn't... truly perfect. Why hasn't Audra played Sally yet? Um, misogyny? I, I, I don't know. We had, let's sit with this for a second. We sat around, and Audra, at this point, is getting a little old for Sally. If we are being completely honest as to what that character's age is. We sat around, we didn't give Audra McDonald a Follies, and we had fucking Amelda Staunton. That was what the last decade has been since that concert. Does London count? Yes, because she could have done it in London, and there would have been... She 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 would have been in the video! She would have been in the video! She'd been in the video? She would have been in the National Theater Live! She would have showed them what National Theater really means if she was in Follies there. This wasn't some big, bombastic, grand thing or whatever. It was relatively small in the greater sense of the concert. I cannot get over the fact that we got Jim Walton to do Growing Up. Yeah. Growing Up is this huge Frank character moment that was added well after the original Broadway production. And having him perform it here, like, in my mind, it, like, completes the character. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's so special that he's doing it. It is. It's like, it. it, it this was, like, the the last step. This was the final thing to, like, complete the Frank material that exists. And the fact that we have it all together is, I found it so heartrending. Now, had they have James Weisenbach come out and do the first half of the song, and then Jim Walton pushed him out of the way, shoved him off of the... Here's your fucking Doctor Who moment. Halfway through the song, shoved him off of the bench and took over. That would have been meta. That would have been very meta-theatrical. Move on. The beauty in that was not just... (laughs) Yeah, I knew you were doing that. That that wasn't even intentional. That was just... I'm going to talk about moving... Move on now. Moving on to move on. Um, The beauty of that was not just in seeing that performance again after this amount of time. The beauty in that was seeing Mandy and Bernadette looking at each other, fighting themselves to to keep the emotion from exploding. Did you see the end of the song? Yeah. Where they whispered, I love you to each other? And Bernadette said, I love you more. It's, It's Bernadette looking at Mandy as he's singing. And the way you catch the light and the care and the feeling. All of that. Bernadette is looking at him and tearing up. And you can see Mandy is fighting so hard to keep this moment intact, to keep this moment pure. You have to, like, I I can see the rehearsal of this number. The first time this being sung, I can see him collapsing onto the floor. You know? Mm-hmm. Just that emotional mess of a man. it's like exploding from within him. And I have to say, this is 
the most I've ever given such a reverence to a specific lyric in this. Let me give to you something in return. I would be so pleased. Yeah, I would be so pleased, really. I would be so pleased. Holy fucking shit. It was the... it. I shed a single tear. Just magnificence. You're up. Well, Mandy, I have to say. Yeah, the power there. Uh, you um, texted me when mm-hmm. you were watching, and you said it's a completely different voice, and it is. It objectively is. Um, Not for better or worse. Well, no, what happened is the voice objectively has gotten more dramatic yeah. as he has aged. And um, as the voice has gotten more dramatic, you see this with classical singers too. When they become a dramatiche, you lose some of the um, power delicacies, if I, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. Like, he was, I want to say, almost mixing the first. Well, when that you wanted goes, you yeah. Can. Uh, um, it, it, when he did it originally, always turning back too late. Very, yeah. very, mm-hmm. like almost falsetto. Yeah, yeah. When he originally did it, it was like mixed and it was very powered, but it was a falsetto. Now it's a hundred percent falsetto. But when he goes back for the second time. He's bringing more vocal power to it than he yes. ever has. Ever. Because the ever. voice has gotten more dramatic. Yeah. And, you and know, seeing... you think about that. And the feeling. And the life. Like that. Uh-huh. It is rangy as hell. And seeing him knock those two out of the park. Inspiring. Inspiring. Absolutely. The fact that his voice has taken on a completely different character is so fascinating too like the structure of the voice is obviously is obviously still there he sounds recognizable but at the same time it's a completely different power it's a completely different sound it's a completely different timber fucking extraordinary to see the growth of that man Mm -hmm. and you know what even the waltz thing was good oh do i hear a waltz yeah, you know how I how little I care for waltz. I they did the full lyric that I believe Dorothy Hammer Dorothy Rogers, not Dorothy Hammerstein. Everyone's Dorothy in that group. Um, yeah. Dorothy Hammerstein, Dorothy Rogers. There were several other Dorothys. Um, I think Larry Hart's mother might have been named Dorothy. If Dorothy Rogers, I believe, was the person that vetoed that lyric. And they did a much tamer version in the original production. Yeah. You but, were, we were we were like talking about it, and it came up, and I was like, I have no recollection of this song ever existing. Like, I do not have any recollection of this song to any extent. Well, you watched the encore's production; it was something Claiborne Elder sang. Yes, I like I like recall the moment. I didn't recall a note. A word of this song. Oh, it's it's cute. It's a cute song. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice mm-hmm. enough. It's fine. I have to say the Reds number. Mm. 
they had two ballet dancers come on and dance in front of it and they were good um that red's score has really become haunting hmm it's uh it's ethereal i i mean truthfully this is also the first time i've ever heard anything from reds um how gorgeous like how mm-hmm. passionate how sad how melancholy what did you make of the choreography there it was good yeah they don't have much room to dance they're you know it's just a runway very slight runway they dealt with it well and it was an attractive dance piece well danced uh very very sweet moment and another just fantastic moment of like true devotion to the culture of the man's material the fact that like you know this is something that has never been heard of by the greater populace right like this is not something that anyone's familiar with in the grand in the greater sense of musical theater but this is just a great moment of devotion to the work of the man Mm-hmm. So the, the concert famously ends with all of these, um, all of the Broadway shows, they sent their casts over to Carnegie Hall and they walked down the aisles and onto the stage singing Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it was very moving. It was extremely moving. And I think this is also why I'm kind of depressed a little bit or not as positive in my feelings. I watched an interview that Jason Robert Brown did with the Library of Congress, and he referenced a little bit his infamous passion faux pas. Yeah. Brief summary for those who might not know. Brief. Brief. Jason Robert Brown went to see Passion at Stephen Sondheim's invitation. They went out for dinner afterwards, and Jason Robert Brown basically said everything he thought was wrong with the show. And Stephen Sondheim did not like that. He said, I've put myself out there. Days later, he said, I put myself out there. Even if you hated the show, in that moment, I want to hear that it's great. Yeah. Just say... Yes, I loved it. No matter what you actually think about it. Years later, you can tell me what you actually think about it. In that moment, I want to hear that you loved it. Mm-hmm. And this was an interview that Jason Robert Brown had done in like 2016. He said, at this point in my life, I really get it. It's that you mat- you want to hear that you mattered to the younger generation. Mm. And that is what I didn't give him. You want to hear that your work has an effect, that you made an impact that will last beyond yourself. Hmm. And that moment of the Sunday, of them coming in, all of these people, specifically, they keep cutting to the Billy Elliot cast with those little British-accented Moppets. Um, And they're all singing Sunday. And it's this great moment to give to Stephen Sondheim saying, you do matter. It will last beyond you. And I think that's also why I am sitting here asking, based on what gets produced, I hope the legacy goes on. And I'm just not sure. 
I'm hopeful, but I'm unsure. We will continue to have revivals. And that those we will have some lovely revivals in the future, if not in the, me the immediate future. I hope the influence is felt in new works. And I hope that we are supporting new works. I hope we are supporting new works, too. I hope we are cultivating and fostering the same people who will grow to fill the same shoes that Sondheim once filled, you know? I hope that we have the sort of daring, drama-first works that he brought to us. Because that's what he was to me. That's the big thing that I always talk about when I talk about Stephen Sondheim. I don't love the man because his tunes are catchy. I don't love the man because he's smart. I don't love the man because he comes up with interesting melodies. I, I care about him because he was one of the world's leading musical dramatists. He was a compositional playwright. He was so story-forward. He was so narrative-first. He was so character-based. He was so dedicated to telling the story and to telling a compelling story and telling a story that he so deeply cared about and creating this cohesion in storytelling, making everything feel as though it was of the piece. He cared so much for what he was telling his audience. And that's the work that excites me. That's the work that has me feel artistically fulfilled. That's the work that makes me want to be an artist. Those are the stories that I want to tell. Those are the stories that I want to hear told. And I want to see that continue in this art form. I strive for more drama-first works. I strive for more pieces of story-first art. Something that's dedicated to communicating that. Something that's dedicated to that cohesion. While still, you know, if possible, providing that inventiveness and cleverness and that ingenuity and that mastery of the breadth of the sonic language that he had. But what it comes down to is what the work leaves you with. And I, I wish for that to be nurtured. I wish for that to be nurtured and to be specifically rewarded in this field because I truly think at the end of the day, to me, that is what Stephen Sondheim's legacy means. That to me is what his work proved us. That's what he gave us. And that's what I'm the most grateful for having been given through his life. Let's hope that that's nurtured. Well, <clears throat> to quote a Barbara Streisand rewrite of a Stephen Sondheim song, Final is expensive. Now the moment's gone. Time for moving on. Hmm. Two brighter days? Hopefully. Hopefully. But hope doesn't grow on trees. We make it. And I'm here to tell you, 
it is the hardest thing we will ever <laughs> do. And I'm feeling how hard it's going to be today. Boy, am I feeling how hard. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you, Steve. Thank you in advance to the legacy that his works will carry and to the works of art that will come as a result of his existence. Thank you.